Okay, so I'm going to jump right into today's message because uh, there's there's a decent amount there, and I don't want to keep you here any longer than I need to. So today, this is uh, part four in our series on stewardship, and this is the part everybody has been waiting for. I know you guys are like, like your co- your toes are curled. You're thinking, I hope. He talks about tithing. I have so been waiting for this, and that's exactly what we're doing today. Um, so specifically what we're going to be dealing with is what is it, what is the tithe, and is it still for today? Uh, and I'm going to come at this in a slightly different way, okay? Um, but here's the basic idea. Of all the topics that I preach on, uh, and you know that I don't shy away from, from, from sensitive topics, this is the second most uh, resisted topic that I speak on. It's the second most, okay? And I'm talking about resisted in the church by Christians. The most resisted one that I talk on is, is, is creation. That's coming next month, just, to, just, just so that you know that. Um, we'll be doing a short series on that. Um, and basically, as we get started on this, I want to I remind you again that I have one goal in this. When people talk about why do we, you know, why are we talking about this? You know, uh, churches talk about money too much. Why are we talking about this? There's three reasons why we, why it's important that I teach on tithing periodically. First one is it's in the Bible. I'm not making it up, right? It's in the Bible. Secondly, it comes with a promise of a blessing. And thirdly, it comes with a warning for disobedience. It's in the Bible has a promise of blessing, and has a warning for disobedience. Why would I not speak on that, right? But we reject, we have a hard time with this because of what it entails, okay? And, and I, want, I just want to let you know that I totally understand that when you put the words church and money together, bad images come to your mind, okay? I can remember when I was first a Christian, I was watching TBN, because that's what you did in the early 90s when you became a Christian, um, and I'm, I'm watching this guy teach on financial responsibility while he's sitting behind, not kidding, a gold-plated desk, talking about his $10,000 suit. Not impressed, was not impressed, thinking, you know, here's an idea, sell the desk and the suit and do something modest, <laughs> Now, over the years, I've heard people talking on this subject, and I've, been, uh, I've, I've sat through messages that the tithe is no longer for today. That's a pretty common message. I've been told that uh, if you don't tithe, you're not, going, you're not a real Christian, you're not going to heaven. Didn't think we had to pay our way in. I'm <laughs> just pretty sure Jesus took care of that for us. Um, my, my favorite one uh, comes from Jesse Duplantis, that if you, if you uh, give more, Jesus will come back sooner. You know, apparently whatever, whatever plane ticket from heaven back to earth is really expensive and God, God needs us to float him alone. <laughs> and I've even been told that you're sick because you don't give enough. Yeah. The, the, and this is why this message is, is so difficult to hear and so resisted in a lot of the church because we've had to deal with garbage like this. People use this as a club to try to get people to give so they can finance their lifestyles. That's not what I want to do. I don't know what you give. I don't care what you give. That's between you and God. My job is to teach you what the Bible says, and then you work it out for yourself. I'm not responsible for any of that. That's why I specifically don't know what anyone gives, so I can do this with a clear conscience. 
But as I started to grow in the Lord, one of the things that I realized was I was listening to everybody else talk about tithing, but I never actually dove into what scripture said about it. What does the Bible say about it? Because everybody else's opinion doesn't matter. They can have a great opinion and they can have a wonderful lifestyle, but if it is not lined up with scripture, who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference. So I started studying it for myself. And what I learned in that journey has been guiding me my entire Christian life, 28 years at this point. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to address some of the more common questions around the topics. I think that's just a better way of understanding it, dealing with the objections that people have to it. And the first one is really simple. What does tithe mean? Okay, not an overly complicated process. It means a tenth. It literally means a tenth, one out of ten. There's no debate among scholars what the meaning is. All through scripture, every word is used. It is well known to mean a tenth. In Old Testament times, it meant this. If you planted a hundred acres of something, the first 10 acres went to the temple. Not the last, the first. You see, the tithe is not the last 10%. It's the first. And that, and, and as silly as it sounds, that matters. Because think about this. This is an agricultural area. If you plant a hundred acres and you give the first 10 away, you don't know what's happening to the other nine, the other 90. It's faith. That's the whole point. If your herd had 10 baby goats, you brought one of them to the temple. Now today we don't trade like that anymore. We still live in a transactional world, but we have, we use currency. It's, it's different. If you want to bring a truckload of hay, I, Sure. Please don't. Uh, you know, don't drop off a container of, you know, raw milk or something. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> uh, don't, don't. Because uh, I wouldn't know what to do with it. So we use currency today. So basically what it means, if you got a hundred, uh, if you got $100, the tithe is 10. And it's not of what you have. It's the increase. Whatever you have today, don't worry about it. Whatever you have Next paycheck, that's the increase. Okay, you don't do it over the whole thing. It's ten, a tenth of the increase. Now, why did God pick the number 10? I have no idea. Probably because if we looked at all of our fingers and we went that many, we could figure it out, even for those of us who don't teach math, right? Or are off duty for the summer. Yeah. One out of ten is easy to calculate, right? No matter where you are in history. Uh, but, but I don't know why God picked that number, but here's, here's the thing. He did, it's in the Bible, and that's good enough for me. So we're just going to go with that. So a tithe is a tenth, okay? So question number two, if the tithe was part of the Old Testament law, why, and we are under grace, why do we still tithe? This is the most common objection that I get in the church about the tithe. If it was the Old Testament law, then and we're under grace. We're no longer under the law. Why do we do that? We should just give what we feel we should give, right? Well, here's the problem. Are we truthfully saying we don't abide by any of the Old Testament standards? You're like, those pesky Ten Commandments. Right? There's still a lot of the Old Testament truths that we still adhere to that were in the law. But beside that, let's check this out. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, we read this. After Abraham returned from his victory over that guy and all of his allies, the king of, of, of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of uh, uh, Shavah. 
that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, listen, and priest of God Most High, brought Abraham some bread and some wine. Melchizedek blessed Abraham with a blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abraham, uh, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Two things I want to mention about this. First, this is 500 years before the law. 500 years. How did he know how to, to give him a tenth? And why was a tenth mentioned? The tenth was mentioned on purpose. He could have just said, and Abraham gave him some of the loot. It's not what he did. He gave him a very specific amount. And the reason for that is actually an, is obscure, and, and modern-day Christians have a really hard time with this. But here is the, here is the reality. This is the second point. Melchizedek was, was priest of God Most High. Priest of God Most High. I want you to understand this because this is, this is difficult in modern times. We live in the, in the days of the Bible. There was, before the nation of Israel, before the captivity in, in, in Egypt, before the Exodus, before Moses led anyone to Mount Sinai, there was an organized, understood method of worshiping God most high. More than likely, it was carried over from the pre-flood world and handed down from the sons of Noah. It's actually believed by some that Melchizedek was one of the sons of Noah. It's not, it's just a an idea that some, some, uh, some scholars have. But there was an organized way of understanding and worshiping God, which is why Abram knew how to worship God. He understood the righteousness of God. He understood what an acceptable sacrifice was and what an acceptable offering was. He understood godly morality. How would he have known that if there was not a standard taught to people? It wouldn't have. But the worship of God Most High has been handed down since the days of Adam. We have a hard time with that because we think that the church was only established through Israel. But it's pretty clear, priest of God Most High, some version of what we would call temple worship existed pre-flood and post-flood before Israel became God's people. We don't know what it looked like. We don't know how it was carried out, but we know it existed. And the tithe existed in it. See, the tithe was never handed to us through the law. It was simply adopted into the law because it was a standard that has gone back to God's people from the beginning. Acceptable and unacceptable offerings. It transcends the law. It goes beyond it. It is not limited by our understanding or time or situation. It is simply a standard that God has applied to his people for all time, which is why the idea, could it possibly be attached to today, is a difficult one because it was never attached to the law. So you can't say it left with the law because it was never bound to the law, okay? So here's leading me to my third question. Is tithing taught in the New Testament? People will say that. See, see, Jesus never talked about it, so we don't have to do it. There's a lot of things Jesus never talked about. 
that we still understand as a truth of God because they're in the Old Testament already. I kind of get the idea that God is saying, how many times do I have to say this? Do I, I didn't tell you it was gone. Why do you keep making me say this thing over and over again? But here's the worst part. It is taught in the New Testament and Jesus did it himself. But because it's only mentioned, it tends to get glossed over. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what Jesus did right there is he established an Old Testament timeless principle for all time for God's people. He's talking to the Pharisees who would take a mint plant and be like, okay, there's 20 leaves on there. Boink, boink. Okay, this is my tithe. I mean, that's how crazy these guys were with stuff. But they were not loving people. They thought the act made them righteous. But no, righteousness causes you to be obedient to the act. So Jesus says, yes, you should do this. This is right. But be Good people too. This is more, this is more important than, than that. Both should happen in our lives. But if you're gonna default to one, be kind. Just be a good person about it. It's difficult. To put it simply, we should not only be kind people, but we should tithe as well. Question number, uh, Oh, I did that backwards. I'm sorry. Question number four. Does the tithe tithe have to come to the church or can I spread it around? This one has led to some very interesting conversations. Now, here's something I want to say just in, in, in introduction to this answer. Any pastor who answers this biblically is going to look self-serving and greedy. I'm just going to throw that out there. I know what this answer is going to look like, and I'm just saying it to begin, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to read it from the word of God for you. That way you can blame him. Okay? First things first, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. It says, I am the Lord. Look careful. I do not change. Does anyone have a, a need for an interpretation of that half a sentence? I am the Lord, I do not change, right? So God is the same always, which means his standards of right and wrong are the same always. They don't change based on society's little movement up through history. It doesn't change our circumstances. He doesn't care what's going on in your life, where you live, who, you, who your government is, who your president is or isn't. Doesn't matter. He does not change. Okay. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Because he's always been kind. He's going to continue to be kind. It says, ever since the days of our ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? 
How can we return if we've never gone away? Now, I want you to think about what's what's about to happen in this conversation. Now, this year we're using the New Living uh, Translation, so you're gonna it's gonna have a slightly different uh, translation of the word robbed. It's gonna say cheated, but literally it does mean robbed because if you're cheating someone, you're stealing from them. So just so we understand where this language is gonna go, God is not telling them that they left physically. God is telling them that they left emotionally. They abandoned him from their heart. Remember we talked about this verse before, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Their treasure has left the calling of God. Therefore, they have. They're just there to count the days, basically. And so picking up in verse eight, it says this, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you have cheated me in the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating with me. Now listen to this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do this as the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it, take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. We'll get to what that means a little later. Now, going back a little further to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, listen to what God says to his people. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their God. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God. Listen, at the place of worship, he himself will choose from among all the tribes the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, your sacred offerings, your offerings to be fulfilled, uh, to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and your flocks. There you and your families will feast in the presence of the Lord your God and you will rejoice in all you have accomplished because the Lord your God has blessed you. Listen, your pattern of worship will change. Remember, they're wandering at this point. Today, all you are doing, uh, all of you are doing as you please. Just do whatever you want. Because you have not yet arrived at the place of rest, the land that the Lord your God is giving you as your special promise. The temple has not been built. There's not a place to go to. It says, but you will soon cross the Jordan River and live in the land the Lord your God is giving you. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and you're living safely in the land, You must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. It's pretty clear that God is is putting the tithes in a very specific category. They go one place, one, to your local church. Before, they went to the temple. Temple worship has changed. Now we have the New Testament churches. The New Testament churches are still the place where God has chosen for his name to be honored. That's why we gather as a community. So basically what it means is this. Whatever your, ta- whatever your tenth is, you don't put 5% over there, 3% over there, and 2% over there. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a second. God is saying your tithes belong here. Your offerings, which are over and above, can go wherever you want. But your tithes belong to your local church. So let me be really clear. If you're visiting here today, if you're watching online and you attend a different church, your tithe doesn't belong here. 
It does not belong here. Do you want to give to support the ministry here? Great. We'll use it one way or another. But it doesn't belong here. Your tithe belongs to your local church. And it's for a very specific reason. Remember this passage. In addition, he required the people of Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. Here are some things that that you should probably know about the modern day church. And remember, I don't know what you give, okay? On average, churches as a whole, globally, about 20% of people who regularly attend church tithe. 20%. And that number, from what I understand, is on the high side, (laughs) okay? The average giving per person per week in in a church, this is a global statistic, okay, is $20, That's the average giving per person, $20. What this has done to the church globally is it has forced most ministers to be bivocational. They have to hold down a full-time job while trying to pastor a church. And I wouldn't even begin to know how, I I don't want to know how difficult that would be. I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunities. There's nothing wrong for a minister to be in the marketplace, okay? I build custom guitars. I'm, I, I, I deal with people in different ways because I want to be out there to be able to minister to them. But this is a different category. These are people who cannot afford to live, so they have to fold, hold down a full-time job because they need to eat. Meanwhile, dealing with the needs of the congregation, That is extremely difficult. The Christian church is on decline globally. Every Monday morning, 200 ministers quit. Quit. Over 90% of them, and these are statistics that you can actually look up online, over 90% of them have stated this, I can't afford to live like this anymore. I can't do it. So they're taking mediocre jobs where they're working, you know, probably, you know, around 30 hours a week so they don't qualify for insurance. They don't make enough money and the church doesn't have enough money to be able to afford insurance for them. So they're they're walking this careful line where they can only make a certain amount of money or whatever state aid program that they're in. And there's a lot of ministers serving their congregations that are on essentially some form of state care. But they can't go over that line or they lose their ability to go to see a doctor. You understand the stress that's on someone like that. It's, it would be, in, it would be in just intense. There's a lot of things that happen. And most of the time it comes down, and I want to say this carefully, that people don't give the way God intended. Let me give you a quick statistic. Take a church of 100 people, which is roughly the average size small church in the United States, and each of those people make $10,000 a year. $10,000 a year. And they tithe. Over the course of the year, how much does each person give? $1,000 times 100 people. You have $100,000. 100 people making $10,000 a year is a $100,000 a year budget for a church. How many of you would like to make $10,000 a year? 
Okay, yeah, all the kids are like, yeah! It doesn't take a genius to do quick math, and you don't have to be a scholar to do it or a math magician, to realize there is a reason why so many things don't happen. I wish our church could do this. I wish our church could do that. I wish our church... But there is a reason why the church has such a hard time moving forward globally. We live in a transactional world, and we tend to keep it for ourselves. That makes things very, very difficult. Now, here's the thing about this. When God, said, God says, you've robbed me, can you steal something that's yours? Who, who went to work? Did you go to work or did God go to work? Did God clock in or did you clock in? Right? You, did, did, did you, do you earn your money? Yes. Can you steal something that's yours? No. This is a very important perspective for Christians to understand. God looks at everything we have as his. And he encourages us to view everything we have as his. Because he brought it to you. He brought it to you. All the increase in your life is the favor of the Lord. For one reason or another. You notice that the scripture says, bring the tithe, not give it. Bring it. You don't bring what's yours. <laughs> you give what's yours. You bring what belongs to somebody else. Right? So I want you to, I, I want to help you illustrate this. There is a video coming on this, Chelsea, so it'll be on the uh, computer channel. Um, so this is a quick video from Robert Morris that I think illustrates this point very, very well. Uh, and it's a couple minutes long, so check out this little, little clip. All right, let me give you a closing illustration, okay? Pick a few volunteers here. How about you? Do you stand up? You, sir, will you stand up? And Pastor Bobby, you want to come down here? Will you guys do a line right here? Let me show you how to do it. Facing me. If you'll get on that end over there, and you in the middle, and then Pastor Bobby there. There you go. Okay. Okay. What's your name? Corey. Billy? Bobby. Corey, Billy, Bobby. Got it. Okay. I'm going to go away for a while. While I'm gone, I'm going to send you men some funds, and I want you to channel some of those funds to my wife. I'm going to give each of you $10,000 a month. Really don't get excited. This is just an illustration. Okay. Okay. And I want you to give my wife $1,000 a month. You can keep 90% of it. I just, I just need 10%. Okay. So, after a few months, I, I talk to Debbie and I say, hey, how, how's that, the money coming in from those three guys? She says, well, Corey's sending $1,000 a month. Every month, first of the month, it's there. Billy is sending 2000 a month. I say, really? I wonder why he's doing that. I only asked him to do 1000 I don't know, but every month he sends $2,000. Well, that's great. I said, well, what about Bobby? She said, well, we need to talk about Bobby. <laughs> Told you I'd get you back. I said, well, well, what's Bobby doing? Well, the first month he sent 700. The second month, 400. 
And this month, he hasn't seen anything at all. Now you think about this. This is my wife. And I'm the one giving him the money. And he can keep 90% of it. I just wanted 10. Now what, what do you think I'm going to do to Bobby? This is my wife. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut him off. I'm not providing for him anymore. I can't trust him. I only needed 10%. I can't trust him at all. Actually, he's stealing from me. And I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm going to take his 10000 I'm going to give it to Bitly. Because I can trust him. Let me tell you what these three guys are telling me every month. They're telling me how much they love me. They're telling me how trustworthy they are. They're also telling me how much they love my wife. Okay, you guys can sit back down. Let me, let me apply this illustration, okay? Jesus said, I'm going away for a while. While I'm gone, I want you to take care of my wife. Is the church the bride of Christ? Makes the point pretty well, doesn't he? It's important for us to remember that our obligation is not simply to receive salvation, but it's to become part of a larger army spreading the gospel throughout the world. And that takes effort, that takes time, and it takes resources. And when God says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's reason for that. He wants us not simply an attender. He wants us invested. All right, last question. And this is probably the second most common one that I get. Uh, and Which is why I saved it to last because I hate this question. Uh, what do I do if I don't trust the church with my money? I'm sure no one has ever had trust issues with anyone in the church, right? Especially the leadership. So let me ask a question first. Um, What has the church done to earn that contempt? Now, I'm not talking about the church globally. I'm not talking about a church you were at before. Whatever church you are in, if that's a feeling that you have, what has actually happened, where you are, for that to be a valid claim? Because most of the time it's not. Most of the time we hear some hear someone talk about something that happened or we see something on TV or we see something like Creflo Dollar or Jesse Duplantis asking for $67 million so they can buy a new Gulfstream. And you go, nope, not going to happen. I can remember once on, uh, uh, remember the old station WWJS? The pastor of the church that was running the, the radio station was asking people on the radio to send in money so he could get new tires for his, wait for it, Audi. Really? Here was the worst part. People sent him money. So I get it. I get it. The church has worked for a long time to destroy its reputation globally about how we handle money. I remember a few years ago when this new pope came in, there was a big controversy in Germany because one of the, uh, one of the area bishops, I can't remember, I don't know what the hierarchy is, uh, but he was told to stop a remodel project that they were doing to their 
to their church and their, and their parish. It was going to be a $57 million remodel to a building that was fine. They just wanted it nicer. Uh, that drew a bunch of controversy. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so here's a question. If you have concerns about how the church spends its money, and I even, I, I'm, I'm talking about us here, come talk to us. Come talk to us. It's an open book. N- none of our financial records are, are, are secret other than who gives. You're not allowed to, to, to see those. If you want to know what we spend our money on, fine. It's, it's an open book. In order for us to get a dollar, four people, no, I'm sorry, that number, every, every dollar that comes in this church is checked by nine people at the end of the day. Every dollar that's spent is checked by the same nine people, verified and cross-verified with receipts and deposits and, and everything else. We have a very, very tight control system on our, on our finances, which is why we uh, have that weird thing known as money in the bank, right? I was told... <laughs> Talk about not trusting the church. I was told by someone a number of years ago, uh, and I, I this was, and I'm not making this up. Um, this was in the same conversation. I was told that we had the best financial management system that they had ever seen in a church, but I should still not be trusted because all ministers are corrupt. <laughs> I thought, wow, am I blessed and highly favored today? And when I asked the person, what is your reasoning for that? He said, I don't need a reasoning. You're all crooked. Okay. Sounds good to me. Um, that was pretty much the end of, uh, end of that conversation. Now, if you do approach the leadership of your church, if you're watching online or, or, or anything, and, that, and you have a legitimate concern, and you are proven to be right, and that church refuses to listen or change, Here's my best piece of advice. It's time to go. It's time to go. This is why I try to encourage people to not support people like Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn. These people have long-standing traditions of financial mismanagement and lavish spending. And I mean lavish spending. There's a book by Costi Hinn that I would recommend to you. It's uh, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. I've read it. Very, very good book. And in here, he talks about one night they were, um, he was with his uncle, Benny Hinn. He was a catcher on the stage for his uncle, Benny Hinn. He is no longer with that ministry, and he's actually part of a conservative reformed church. He has stepped out and now speaks out against Benny Hinn's ministry because of what he saw on the inside. They were in the... Uh, uh, they were at, staying at the Burj Khalif Hotel in Dubai. It's the one that's kind of out in the, in the water, looks like a sailboat. They were staying in a, in a, a, a suite that was over $20,000 a night being paid for by the ministry. You know, <laughs> there's just, uh, there's something to be said for that. I don't have any trouble with someone if you're making money, go ahead, spend it however you want. But, um, you know, do you, need to, do you need to go to the bathroom in a gold toilet? You know, I'm just, I'm just saying. 
You know, call me crazy. Now, at the same time, I want to I be careful. I'm going to get to balance this. At the same time, let's not confuse financial mismanagement with the church not asking your permission to spend a dollar. Okay? We need to balance both sides of that. Just because you think the church should be doing something different does not mean that what the church is doing is wrong. Chances are there are things that you don't know. There are circumstances you, you're not aware of. And there's probably long conversations that you're just not part of. That's why we have an elected church leadership. Could you imagine if we tried to sit down and get all the members together every time we needed to do something? Okay, everybody, raise your hands if you want one ply. Raise your hands if you want two ply. <laughs> okay, if you didn't understand that joke, come see me later. <laughs> no, we can't, we can't do that. Decisions have to be made, and that's why we have elected leadership. And at the same time, let's not confuse success with sin, okay? Let's not confuse success with sin. It's very easy to point at leaders in the church who have gotten very wealthy and say things like, this is why I don't give to the church. Look at the lifestyle these people had. Look at the size of their house. Look at the car they drive. They should sell that stuff and help the poor. They're ministers for goodness sake. Now, while I agree that if you have a public ministry, you should be careful of the image you're presenting, right? But that being said, do we know how these people made that money? Do we? Because here's the truth. Most of the very wealthy ministers that you see around the world make their money off of book sales. Book sales and speaking fees. Most of these people don't even get paid by their church. There are plenty of little charlatans out there that bilk their church and the people that have come to it for every dime they're worth. But the bulk of the people you see getting reamed constantly about having money, some of them I don't even agree with, they didn't make it from the church. They made it in alternative ways. Now, Robert Morris, you just saw him, wrote a book a long time ago called The Blessed Life, where he talks about the principle of giving the benefit of giving, the blessing that comes along with it. It has gone all over the world. I think it's translated in around 20 different languages. It has made multiple, multiple tens of millions of dollars. People say, see, he writes a book about financial stewardship and he gets rich. That's nonsense. We forget something to ask, is he actually making money? No, he gave all the money to the church. He, hasn't make a, he hadn't made a dime on that, on that book from the very beginning. But now here's something interesting. There is another voice in the church in the United States today that is constantly coaching people on financial management, on how to, to, uh, uh, to, be, to be blessed with your finances. And that guy has made multiple, multiple millions of dollars and no one ever questions his integrity. His name is Dave Ramsey. One of the most prominent voices of financial stewardship in the church today. No one even blinks an eye at this guy's lifestyle. Why? Because he's not a minister? He's made his money the same way these other people have. The same way. But because he doesn't have a specific title, he's allowed to do it. So let me ask a question. Why is it that we take for granted that ministers are supposed to be broke, wear hand-me-down clothes, live in a tiny house, and drive a clunker? 
and, and you think about this. When you see a minister that is successful, we automatically pin sin to that. They're obviously greedy. Why can't they just be good at what they're doing? Why is it that people that are serving are forced to serve at the lowest possible lifestyle level? And the reason is very simple. It's because we ignore what God's word says about how these people should be taken care of. Let me read this. And again, I know how this is going to sound, but here you go. Paul says this, elders who do their work, by the way, pastors are elders, who do their work well should be respected and uh, paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Now, why is that? We'll go all the way back to Second Chronicles. So that they may devote themselves fully to the Lord. That's why. Obviously, we'll be taking up an offering for me after. No, I'm kidding. We're not doing it. It's important that we get this right. There's a reason why God has structured his church a certain way. There's nothing wrong with people who are serving in the church, owning a nice car, a nice house, or even taking a vacation, having money in the bank. I'll tell you a little secret. Samantha and I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago. I was asked by someone in the church if the church paid for it. Because it's not a cheap vacation. Here's what people don't know. We put that on a zero interest credit card and paid for it over 18 months. That's how we went. But think of like, really? What do you think? I just whip out the church credit card and just go do whatever I want? We would have stayed a lot longer. <laughs> and had better plane seats, right? I'm, I'm tiny, but them things were tiny. That was, that was pretty, yeah. It greasy up just to get you inside there. It was crazy. Here's something to take comfort in. Well, first, let's make sure we don't lump all ministers in the same category as the charlatans that we all know are out there. Take people on a case-by-case basis. Just make sure we're doing our part. But here's what we need to take comfort in when it comes to the church and our giving. God has been dealing with these people a lot longer than we have. A lot longer than we have. And he has not given up on his church, and neither should we. We should do what God is asking us to do because he's asked us to do it. Malachi 3.10, I'm finishing with this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing on you. You won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm not talking about giving to get. And I'm not promising you that if you start tithing that God is going to make you a millionaire. I don't know what your blessing is going to look like, and chances are it's not going to be $100 bills from heaven. That would be cool. you imagine that? You go in your house and it's like raining money. That would be awesome. Dollars, not coins. They would hurt. That would, yeah. I have no idea what that blessing looks like for you. And by the way, neither does anybody else. 
neither does anybody else. But what I do know is that God always lives up to his promises. And I know that that blessing will be everything you need and more than you can handle. The principle of the tithe is just like the principle of sowing and reaping. It is not there because God needs your money. It is there because God is trying to do something in you. He's trying to build something in you. He's trying to break something in you. And for a lot of us, honestly, it's just greed, selfishness. I get it. Been there. I go back every now and then just to see if I like it. I feel guilty and come back. When you finally begin to walk this principle out, <laughs> it's so hard. We were, we were talking about this the other day. You don't understand the blessing that comes from this when you're not there. It is, it is, when people say, well, I, don't, I don't understand what's supposed to happen in me. When you're walking in this correctly and you're actually doing what you're a cheerful giver, there is something that happens in you and there is a provision that happens for you that makes no sense anywhere else makes no sense. You will never experience it until you're on the other side of it. Then you look back and you're like, now I understand why they can't describe that. It's so odd that you can see someone walking this thing out and you're just like, that person's brainwashed. But when you start doing it yourself, you're thinking, no, they're free. There is something going on in that person's life that you don't get any other way. It's kind of like stepping out of the rain under, under an umbrella. All of a sudden, everything changes. It's, it's, it's difficult to explain. But just like every other major principle that God teaches, you never access it until you start. You go first. That's what I can promise you. You go first. Then God will meet you. And sometimes you gotta, you got to go until you get frustrated enough until you want to stop, and then you just choose to just keep going. That's where the breakthrough comes in. And it's usually going to be when you have the least. <laughs> it's just weird the way it happens. I remember when me and Samantha first started, first started tithing, we, we both agreed, and it's important, husband and wife agreed, that we were going to tithe first, figure out how to eat later. From that moment, we've always had what we needed. We've always had what we needed. And some crazy stuff has happened. We've always had what we needed. 